prison, official says, that Whitewater figure James McDougall was in solitary confinement when he died Sunday of an apparent heart attack. McDougall, who had a history of medical problems, was placed in, quote, administrative detention, unquote, uh, Saturday night because he had refused to give a urine sample as part of random drug testing. But the prison spokesman says solitary confinement was safe for McDougal because inmates there are checked on every 30 minutes. Uh, here is um, investigative reporter Chris Ruddy, who works for it, It's a tribu uh, Pittsburgh Tribune Review, isn't it? It is the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Yeah. Okay. Also author of The Strange Death of, of Vincent Foster. Right. Available in bookstores everywhere. Maybe we'll have a sequel. <laughs> well, uh, look, I'm going to play the devil's advocate a little bit here. Uh, McDougal was a sick guy, right? Well, look, I always play the devil's advocate as well. Well, you want me to be? That's the job of a press. You want me? You want me to be the conspiratorial guy? <laughs> I can do that. I thought we were both the conspiracy nuts. What are we doing up at this hour? So, uh, hey, Chris, um, how did they murder McDougal? I mean, we all know oh. they did it. It was, it was some sort of strange drug that they slipped him. Uh, we all know they can do that. Induces heart attacks, boom, just like that. So what's the story, Chris? Well, I don't know if, <laughs> if McDougal was murdered or not. Well, I'm going to assume the story that we've been told by the government. Uh, uh, however... Um, I believe there should be a full investigation, just as there would be in any case. Of, uh, Art, if you took any case where there was a major criminal prosecution and one of the key witnesses suddenly dies of a heart attack, mm -hmm. even though he might have had some illnesses, um, two weeks after uh, a major witness turned that was corroborating apparently parts of his story, that Governor Tucker just turned apparently two weeks ago and agreed to cooperate with Starr. Mm -hmm. um, and he dies on the anniversary, six years to the day, March 8th, 1992, when the scandal first breaks in the New York Times, when Jeff Gerth, a reporter for the Times, reports that the Whitewater scandal um, could hurt the Clintons and has all sorts of allegations from a person named James McDougal. All right, the, the skeptic in me for a second. Let's say, for example, that you were going to have McDougal off in jail, okay? The last time you would do it would be on the anniversary of when it all began. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't jump to that conclusion. I think that... Uh, I, I mean, unless you're really arrogant. Well, look, I, again, I want to assume that this is a heart attack, but let's play the devil's advocate. Um, oftentimes when organized crime, for example, does hit, they typically do hit where there's little signals. And when they do a hit where it doesn't look like a hit, they leave their, their fingerprints so that others in the circle know and have reason to believe that it's murder. And it's done to keep other people quiet. Like the IRS auditing high-profile folks, that kind of thing. Yeah. Same, um, same, same theory. Same theory, I Screw guess. Screw with us and, you know, see what can happen. Well, uh, 
this was part of the problem in the Foster case. And again, I, as you know, I've never said Vince Foster was murdered. But um, a number of people obviously have. There are people like Webb Hubble, who uh, was telling people on the night of Foster's death he was murdered. Right, but let's, you know, Foster's then and McDougal is now, and I, I really want comments from you on McDougal. Now, let's get in. First of all, the audience should know what I know, and that is that now with McDougal having died, the implication for the investigation is that any evidence that McDougal gave can now not be used in court. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, grand jury testimony is considered hearsay um, when there's no cross-examination. It's inadmissible in court. Now, again, if... See, McDougal was not a very strong witness standing alone. He lacked a lot of credibility. He had lied right. so many times. Right. Uh, maybe he had some documents. He was always talking about documents, but um, alone he was no good. Corroborating Jim Guy Tucker, the former governor of Arkansas, he would have been a very powerful witness. Or if Tucker was corroborating him, the two of them could be very, very powerful. So even even evidence as damning as a videotape interview with McDougal could not be introduced into evidence by Ken Starr in some subsequent uh, prosecution of whoever it might be. No, because you can't cross-examine a videotape deposition, for okay. example. So let's say there was a videotape of McDougal. They wouldn't be able to uh, to use that. Um, uh, Congress would not be given, uh, couldn't be given his, his secret grand jury testimony wow. um, to look at. So he's really literally a dead witness. So his being gone, uh, not only is he dead, but any evidence that he gave is dead as a doornail, too, unless they can uh, verify it uh, through the next source, if he indeed pointed to one. Well, my, my sources that are close to this investigation are saying this has dealt a very, very serious blow to the investigation. And the reason it has is that the target of the investigation is Bill and Hillary Clinton. And the, and the, the star was moving with McDougal's help, apparently, towards Hillary, because she was the attorney for record for Madison Guarantee, which was McDougal's bank, which went down for to the tune of $60 million. I have always said, Chris, and I have always thought that if uh, there was going to be real legal trouble, it would probably be Hillary's. I've, I've conjectured about that now for actually years. Well, Jim did, not, Jim did not like um, Hillary. In fact, in my last conversation, I interviewed him several times. I interviewed him just before he went to jail. I think he was the most candid, and he clearly indicated to me that he was not happy with Hillary Clinton. Mm. Um, so now here's the thing. Governor Tucker, I, from what I can see from the dealings that took place, was not dealing or working directly with the Clintons. What he knew about the Clintons, he knew through Jim McDougal. McDougal was sort of the nexus, was the conduit between Tucker, the Clintons, and others involved in this web of scandal. Take McDougal out, and everything Jim Guy Tucker says is just hearsay. 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 Uh, I, I've got you. So this this is a very, very serious blow, the death of McDougal. Yeah. I mean, leave aside the issue, and there will always be conspiracy theorists that will question that death. Um, it's sort of fortunate for the people that are being investigated here that this has taken place.
especially that there's talk that this is coming to a head now after all of this time. Um, did McDougal did McDougal have a heart condition? He apparently had some heart problem over the years. I was speaking to him about his medical condition, and um, he indicated to me that he had some medical conditions, uh, uh, but it didn't sound like he, he he was ready to have a heart attack or anything like that. He said that he was suffering from some um, psychological depression and things like that. Did he tell you of any previous heart condition? Not that I remember, no. Is there any medical record to indicate a previous heart condition? Um, well, I, I don't know of any. There haven't been. They've mentioned in the press reports that he had chronic, chronic circulatory and cardio problems. Uh, but uh, there's no evidence that I know of that he had, a, let's say, a heart attack before this. All right. Uh, I, I heard, not in this writer's story I read you tonight, but I heard that he died in a prison hospital. Is that accurate? Yeah, well, he was checking into a prison hospital. Was he in it when he died? Um, not that I know of. Uh, well, actually, I believe he was in a prison hospital, and then they transferred him to a, a private hospital in Fort Worth. All right, what it says here... Uh, what it says, let me read the story again, word for word, and see what you think of it. A federal prison official says Whitewater figure James McDougal was in solitary confinement when he died Sunday of an apparent heart attack. McDougal, who had a history of medical problems, doesn't say hard, was placed in administrative detention Saturday night because he had refused to give a urine sample as part of a random drug test. But the prisons, now that's important, the prison's spokesman says solitary confinement was safe for McDougal because inmates there are checked on every 30 minutes. Well, I guess it wasn't safe. Well, these medical facilities, the U.S. government has semi-hospitals where, where convicts that have medical problems live. But they usually don't have, let's say, the full uh, medical facilities. They don't have operating rooms doctors 24 hours a day there, um, but they're for people that are not in intensive care, let's say, but people that have chronic conditions, and uh, so this is why when they mention the prison, there are prison medical facilities. Okay. He was at one of them from the day he entered the federal prison system. Because of his stated medical problems. Right, which, circulatory. Were, which were apparently several. Which could be, you know, when you say circulatory then that implies uh, possible heart problems, uh, constricted uh, um, uh, veins, that sort of thing. Um, so it is reasonable to suggest that he might have had heart problems. Absolutely. And he was of the age where he could have had that. He certainly um, was apparently under some stress. It's not easy at his age going to jail. That's right. He um, had suffered several uh, breakdowns, apparently, in the course of his life. He was how old when he died? Fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. Well, I guess that's in the range, but it's still a little on the young side. But on the other hand, he still is a key government witness. You become vulnerable if, if there are people that don't like you and you are a key witness. This is why... Um, 
take away the personalities here, Jim McDougall, the Clintons, and all of the other intrigue that we know of, um, in any case, you would do a full autopsy. You would do full toxicology. Sure. You would are they look gonna, for they, exotic drugs like yep. ricin that could yep. cause cardiac arrest. Why are they doing that? Well, as far as I know, they're doing an autopsy, and it's going to take about, they've done the autopsy, and they're going to take about two weeks to get the toxicology test. And they're reporting back he died of a heart attack. And um, But you don't know until there's a full... Well, even then, I don't think you really know, because uh, these spooks... If you want to con conjecture that it could have been something like that, have drugs that um, cause apparent heart attacks that I think well, cannot be detected under normal toxicology uh, testing. Well, a, cu a couple of things here, and again, I know you sort of see the Foster thing as separate. I don't. I think that they're integral. Um, oh, I understand. McDougal's a player. In fact, Foster and McDougal are sort of ground zero for the Whitewater scandal. Um, uh, Jeff Gerth and the New York Times first reports Whitewater. And then what really brings the scandal to a head is 1993 Foster's death. Aides of the Clintons are running into Foster's office, allegedly removing yep. Whitewater documents. Yep. The U.S. government, you and me, pay $30 million, Art, and the rest of your listeners for this major investigation into Foster's death that lasts over three years. They keep on saying suicide, suicide. They never tell us really why he died of a suicide. And what's astounding is I spoke to McDougal just before he left for prison. Yes. And he said to me off the record, and I'm revealing this now for the first time, now that he's passed away, I can do that. That what? He was never questioned about Foster, and he was absolutely shocked. What? Star, Star would never asked him. About his relationship oh, with Foster. Which that's is, hard to believe. I have him on tape. Uh, oh, I understand. Uh, I, I definitely believe he said it. Uh, hold on, we're at the bottom of the hour. It's hard to believe that Starr would not ask McDougal about Foster. I mean, that's that's really hard to believe. We'll be right back. To investigative reporter uh, Chris Ruddy who is uh, on every friend of the White House list. Uh, Chris, uh, welcome back. You know, Chris, while you never, ever, it's true, actually say the words, Vince Foster was murdered, or uh, James McDougal was murdered, the clear implication going unsaid and between most of the lines that one hears from you is that you suspect um, that. Well, in the Foster case, um, all I have been saying, and, and this, um, this carries over to the McDougal case, we, we we haven't really seen what the investigators or the authorities have done yet with right. McDougal. Right. And what I'm saying there is that the procedure should be followed. Normal procedures weren't followed with Vincent Foster. Mm -hmm. So this has given rise to conspiracy theories and to murder theories. Yeah. Um, so does that mean that I'm saying it's murder because um, they didn't do some of the most basic things you need to do in a in a typical homicide investigation? Also, suicides are supposed to be treated um, yeah. as homicides. I mean, I mean, you, I, I know you've been over all this a million times with me. I, I have no argument with that, and right. I agree with you. There are many, many anomalies. Uh, but what I'm saying is, you all but say it. No, I disagree completely with that. My job is to report the facts as a reporter. If two of the paramedics are 
reported officially in their reports that Foster was murdered, that is a story the public should know about. Webster Hubble on the night of the death was indicating it. That is a story the public should know about. If there's no explanation of where Foster was on the, on the afternoon of his death, I think that's a gaping hole that the authorities should fill in for us. Foster was the deputy White House counsel, one of the highest officials in this country, and the cavalier way that they treated that investigation, I know, I think is very, very dangerous to the rest of us, even if it was a suicide. <laughs> Open and shut right, well, case. I'm not going to press you on the matter, but I insist that everything you say leads uh, a casual listener to believe that you believe uh, or are very suspicious that there was a murder. Well, certainly I wouldn't have written a whole book if I didn't think that the death was suspicious. All right, well, all right. But at the end of the day, why is it the authorities spend $30 million? Okay. Suicide cases should be open and shut in yep. a week. All right, you think, you think all of this is connected, and I'm even going to bring it on up to the Monica Lewinsky business now. Uh, you told me something earlier today that I think is relevant when you consider McDougal's uh, uh, untimely passing, and that would be that uh, Linda Tripp, who has the tapes, uh, allegedly, of um, Monica Lewinsky, is under guard. Is Linda Tripp's under guard? Well, absolutely. I had uh, a meeting this week with someone that knows her very well that listens to 20 hours of tapes. Yes. And the person said that uh, she's in a safe house in Maryland, not her normal house. A safe house. And there's a group of FBI agents sitting in a van outside her house. FBI agents. And, and what I pointed out today to you, Art, was that this is very similar to the situation where David Hale, who was the first cooperating Whitewater witness. Judge Hale? Yeah, was under constant FBI guard for months. Mm -hmm. Um while he was giving testimony and preparing to give testimony um, for, for Fisk. Um, so it, it, the FBI uh, guard for Tripp is probably coming at behest the order of uh, Starr's office because he does have FBI available, right? Exactly. So that's where it's coming from. Well, that's right. And or he, would, he would be the one that would have to request it. But th this is not done willy-nilly. Uh, they just don't Actually, it's very unusual for FBI agents even to be used, sure. usually U.S. Marshals. So it shows that they're not even trusting the normal federal apparatus to, to do witness protection here. What about Monica Lewinsky? Is she under guard? Well, not that I know of, no. But then again, she's, she's not, not a cooperating a... witness. Right, right. As a matter of fact, the late news on her, is it still that she is a target or likely to be a target of the investigation now? Her lawyer said that he received a document, or he claims he has a document, uh, saying that Starr named her as a target of the investigation. Do you know if that's true? Have you seen it? I haven't seen the letter, but I would suppose that she would be a target. In fact, I know there was a little debate within Starr's office, and a lot, of, a number of his more experienced prosecutors were, were thought he was crazy for even attempting to to get her as a cooperating witness. Because she's already got sort of tainted credibility. Um, she claimed, uh, for example, on part of the tapes that she embellishes her lies. There's a former school teachers claiming things about her. Um, the White House can easily claim, you know, she's just a young, 
woman who's embellishing her stories better, uh, according to uh, my uh, people that are close to the investigation, saying, put her in with Vernon Jordan and Bill Clinton, charge them all with being in a conspiracy to obstruct justice with the Paula Jones lawsuit. She's a much better... Um, now, how do you how do you how do you get that connection? Because they were going to uh, take a deposition from her in the Paula Jones lawsuit. Well, no, because she, she they were going to take a deposition of her in the Paula Jones lawsuit, right? And that Clinton apparently had had uh, asked her. This is the allegation to lie in that deposition. Vernon Jordan had instructed her to lie this is alleged in those tapes okay but everybody uh everybody that you just named is denying it flatly that's right but if you have um there's sufficient evidence i'm told where they could see some patterns of crimes one is she was she gave linda tripp a document of talking points for her deposition Somebody apparently gave her that. Vernon Jordan was um, looking for a job for her. I know. This could be considered obstruction, hush, basically hush money in the form of a job. Not unless you can prove it. Well, not unless you can prove it. I mean, Webb Hubble got a job, too. That's right. But if there's a pattern activity, a jury doesn't have to have one of them admit that that was done. If the jury thinks and the ju- and the and the prosecutors present a good case that how unusual it would be for a White House intern to have Vernon Jordan, the president's right-hand attorney in Washington, going up and down the country looking for a job for this young lady, if he can't produce other White House interns where he's done this, um, he'd be in a little trouble. And, um, of course, there were a lot of meetings with Clinton. Um, yeah, but not, not legal trouble. I mean, it well, might... if it would, it would show that clearly he had gone way out of his way for this young lady, and the questions would be why. Okay, but, but I'll, I'll play the devil's advocate. The answer to that is, well, yeah, Clinton had a kind of a relationship with her. Everybody denies it was sex, so we're not going to prove that. Uh, he had uh, kind of a thing, and she definitely had a thing for him. Um, so let's imagine that. Let's imagine they exchanged gifts. Let's imagine that, uh, well, you can imagine all kinds of things. You can imagine sex if you want to. I don't care. <laughs> but um, what, I'm, what I'm saying is here, so far, until you get suborning perjury or, um, uh, you know, somebody asking somebody to lie, unless you've got proof of that, you're whistling in the wind. Well, I don't, I, uh, maybe you are, but the problem is that you have 20 hours of her on tape, so it's going to be hard for her to change her story and to say to a jury that she just embellished for 20 hours. Yeah, if I, yeah but if I was the, the president's president, lawyer, if I was the president's lawyer, I'd say, come on, listen to the whole tape, especially the part where she says she embellishes. Now, and, and now, then, now you can disregard this entire thing. Well, yeah, you you can, but then you have the problem of uh, of uh, according to the New York Times, Betty Curry, the president's own secretary, has uh, cooperated with Starr and said that um, he was instructed her and coached her what to say to investigators. 
Um, that is criminal. Well, that, that's a criminal investigation. To be a problem. So you have a, it's not just one incident, Art. I agree with you that the, each one of those, when you look at them, but it's the overall pattern. And if they can prove that there's several lies, for example, on the sexual relation. Yeah, but you're still not there. I mean, the line, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit, uh, works just fine here. Well, I don't, again, I don't know, I'm not being a lawyer, but uh, from what I understand, if you can show enough of a pattern of events, um, the statutes are, are fairly broad enough that a jury has a lot of leeway. Now, whether Starr would do that and actually bring indictments against these people um, is another question. Well, you, I you, you, look, you, you, there's not two sides given uh, to a grand jury. Now, sure, Starr can go in there and probably, uh, if he does his best, persuade a jury with a mountain of, um, of the kind of evidence you've been talking about tonight that they ought to bring an indictment. He might get that done because you don't have both sides, but try taking that into a court and maybe you're dead. Well, um, I don't know if you would be dead there. My, my, I don't think that this is going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think Starr is a very tough prosecutor. And when I, when this first broke, if you recall, I was on your program, and I basically said anybody that thinks this is going to lead to Clinton's resignation or a quick resolution of this because Starr is at the helm, they don't bet the ranch, don't bet the farm. And sure enough, everything I said on those opening programs has come true. Um, and I think one of the reasons you have people like Trent Lott yelling about Star is that they know here's a guy that was given jurisdiction over Travelgate, over Filegate. He took, a, you know, and again, go back to Vince Foster, it took three years in a case that should have taken a week. Trent Lott basically said to him, look, do your business or get off the pot. Right. Right. And and that is completely, again, the senators know. They know Star drags things out. Here's a guy that's making millions of dollars a year at his private practice, uh, representing interest against the Clintons. He's represented interest for them, including the Chinese government. He was on their payroll for a while. Well, he tried to quit once. Yo, yeah. He even tried to quit once, and he, he I mean, let's remember those circumstances. He says he, he's quitting, and then everybody complains about how he did it and yeah. how inappropriate it was. He did it on a holiday through the university. He didn't even make, he didn't even tell his own deputy. So then he comes out and he gives a press conference and he says, well, actually, I'm going to stay because I never consulted with my own deputies on the status of my own investigation. And I think I really ought to stay. I mean, those literally were his words. Um, so this is a guy who says that he's devoted to this case. And then he went through the embarrassing situation a couple of months ago quitting. of having, well, of having, you know, the, the quitting took place in, what was it, early 96? No, that's right. Then he went through the embarrassing situation a few months ago where he had to reimburse the government for his apartment in Little Rock because he wasn't there. The maximum he was there in, in a whole year period was was no more than three days a month. That's his main office. Yeah, all I was driving at was that if he's motivated to drag out the investigation and stay where he is uh, to make all the money, uh, the millions, whatever, then why did he try to quit only under pressure returning? Got any insight? Well, I think he was coming under a lot of criticism at that point. Well, how about now? Well, uh, I now, mean, that was nothing compared to this. 
Yeah, but now it would look really cowardly if he ran. I see. There was sort of a quiet criticism in Washington from both the right and the left, Carville on one side, and then the, there started to be some murmurings in Congress at that time that was not, I mean, this was not the center of discussion every Saturday or Sunday um, during all the talk shows when, when he did resign, but um, there was a, I guess he felt uh, the, the, the pressure had gotten enough and that he wanted to take a break, and then when he saw the, it was a firestorm of controversy when he resigned. He decided to stick it out. Um, now, who knows what he's going to do, but I think it would be a little bit difficult for him to resign. I have to think it would be a good thing if he did. I think it would be good to get somebody who, is, who has a clean slate, who's known as being impartial, who doesn't have as much baggage. This guy has made so many faulty judgments. Another special prosecutor? Well, why not? Or, or does he quit and turn his evidence over to some sort of congressional committee? Well, he would literally have to close his investigation down. The grand juries would all have to issue reports. I don't know if he could do that at this point. What he would, because there are several cases ongoing, and the Arkansas case, the Tucker thing, cooperation periods ongoing. What he would do is go back to the to the court and have a successor independent counsel appointed, mm-hmm. and that's been done before with different independent counsels. Um, and that would not be that unusual. So he could do that, and there wouldn't be any problem, and the new independent counsel could be up and running. There's no reason. He was the Whitewater independent counsel. We've already discussed in this program, he never bothered, apparently, according to McDougal, even looking at connections between Foster and Whitewater. That's and, crazy. And, and um, but, it, you know, and, and you pointed out you couldn't believe that. Well, we have all the documents, for example, from the Fisk investigation, and McDougal wasn't even interviewed for the Fisk investigation when that by the FBI. Really weird. And none of the colleagues of Foster were interviewed and questioned about Foster's connection with David Hale and Madison Guarantee for that investigation. All right. Uh, hey, Chris, did you ever see all the president's men? I bet you did or read the book or probably both. Huh? Both, yeah. Both, of course. Uh, you remember during the course of that investigation that the, um, uh, the editor of the uh, Washington Post I was under intense pressure to um, to stop this whole thing. Intense pressure. The the post in the middle of it anyway, or when it was getting started to the middle, was getting slam dunked uh, again and again and again and again under a lot of pressure. Has your newspaper come under the same kind of pressure from this administration? Well, and, and just like during the Watergate period, the post came under a lot of pressure from other press. Um, Review has been constantly attacked. Uh, Richard Mellon Skates, uh, the publisher of my paper, comes under frequent attack. It's as if somebody's very disturbed that there's one newspaper in the country that's taking a divergent view here on all of this. So, yeah, I mean, there, there is a parallel. Um, but no one seems to prove us wrong on anything. How about you? You've been audited lately? Well, the Western Journalism Center and Joe Barra, they were audited. It was a very clear political audit. Um, Mike McCurry, um, this is up at my website at ruddynews.com, uh, told the Washington Post that essentially I was the enemy number one. This is in January when we were breaking the Brown story. I know, I remember that. Enemy number one of the White House. Yeah, and they said that uh, he clearly said he has to identify a reporter they hated the most, and it was me. <laughs> I'm uh, sure it's one true. clearer sign, 
and and Howard Kurtz of the Washington Post called me up and he said, I never heard in all the time I've covered Washington, this White House or any White House actually name someone like that. A reporter being singled out. Um, the White House for years have been encouraging the press to do stories on um, people they don't like, and I'm one of them, my publisher, the newspaper, the Western Journalism Center, and they had, they turned over a congressional document, uh, a, a, a 331-page document, the communication stream of conspiracy commerce, and it was all about Vince Foster. They're very concerned about the Vince Foster case. All right, listen, my friend, we're out of time. We're utterly out of time. So uh, it's good to have you on the radio every now and then so the rest of America knows that you are still breathing. Well, I appreciate that. You are still breathing, right? I, I hope so. And I think that um, the Vince Foster case is going to be the next to continue to be. All right, my friend. Listen, we got to scoot. Thank you very much for the update, and we'll have you on again. All right, you take care. All right. Uh, from the Tribune Review in Pittsburgh, that's Chris Ruddy. Kingdom of Nye. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. First time callers may reach Art at area code 702 727 1222. 702 727 1222. Now, here again is Art. Once again, here I am. And hey, this is the kickoff night, everybody, for our guest credibility poll. As suggested by a caller last week, we should have a guest credibility poll on the website. Well, we've got it. You can only vote once. Uh, it'll throw your uh, computer a cookie. That's a little thing that uh, uh, ensures that you only vote once. Um, but aside from that, you can go up to my website, and you've got this is going to be a great night for it, too. <laughs> we've got Stephen Gibbs on, who makes time machines. And it's not a fly-by-night business by any means. He's been making them for years. I interviewed him. God, how old was it? Must have been a year ago, more, maybe. And now I've got another reason to interview him. Somebody called last week and said he got his time machine, and he discussed its use. Earlier today, I heard from a fellow who has used Stephen Gibbs' time machine with success, he claims. And, um, and so uh, Stephen is going to be a wonderful first uh, use kind of guest for our credibility pause. should be fun. Now, I ask that you not judge Stephen on his vocabulary. Stephen's a farm boy from Nebraska. He'll tell you that himself here in a minute. In fact, we'll ask him about his uh, background. But rather, um, judge him on what he says about his machine, its workings, and all the rest of it. As you know, I am fascinated beyond belief with time travel. I believe time travel is possible. 
And I believe that uh, based on um, guests that I've had that are obviously of very high uh, credibility rating, like uh, Michio Kaku, um, theoretical professor of physics, one of the best in the country, and uh, he certainly thinks it's going to be possible. going to take a lot of power, though, he says. So in a moment, we enter the realm of the very unusual, like we don't always do that anyway, huh? All right, look, tonight is a sale night. Uh, once a year, one time every year, the Sea Crane Company has a $1 off sale on the American Select Attendant was actually developed originally by the U.S. military as a direction finder. And I guess one, one day somebody said, oh, my God, look what it does for broadcast radio. Anyway, it's round, about the size of a Frisbee or something. Thicker, obviously. And... Probably by two or three hundred percent more. At night, it will stop ninety percent of the fading, you know, fading in and out of long distance stations you're trying to listen to. During the day, it will increase coverage out to about 150 miles for the um, big 50 uh, KW kaboomers. I'll tell you how good the select antenna is. Here during the day, um, I can barely, barely hear um, a Los Angeles uh, on the radio. Just can barely tell it's there down in the static. And you put a select antenna next to the radio, tune it to the frequency that you're listening to, and it pops out of the noise and becomes utterly and completely listenable. Now, that's how much difference there is. And if you doubt it, it's static. It's absolutely amazing. Once a year, no wires, no batteries, none of that baloney. It inductively uh, couples the signal to your radio. It normally sells, or I don't know, depending on your time zone, whatever. In the morning, five cents, one day only. And by the way, free shipping and handling. Call Bob Crane in the morning at 1 800 522 8863. 1 800 522 8863. The amazing C. Crane Company. Are you but the fact? All right. Now, uh, here is a very, very unusual guy. I mean, there is no question about it. Uh, Stephen Gibbs is a very unusual guy. Stephen, welcome to the program. Oh, hello. Hi. Any idea where that might be coming from? <laughs> might be some UFOs. <laughs> do, you have, uh, do you have a portable phone or something? Uh, no, no. I, uh... I mean, is it, do you have a light on over your phone or... Uh yeah, let me let me let me turn it off. Okay. Uh, does that help? No, it didn't make any difference. It could be the fact that uh, uh, I had to mention. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what. Move your phone a little bit. Can you do that? Yeah. Just move it. Something's affecting that. Oh. Uh, I got a co uh, coffee pot going, but I don't know if that would be the what would interfere with it. It's just got hum on it. You don't have one of your machines running, do you? No, no. Oh, really? Yeah. There, it's almost gone. Almost gone. Wherever you are. Hmm. Stop there. There it is. <laughs> and, all right. Um, now it's coming back. Uh, Steve, Nebraska. Uh, what do you do in Nebraska? Pretty much what I'm doing now, it's, uh, you know, I'm building the selling these uh, machines, and then uh, I kind of help my mother out around the farm. 
you know, when I'm not busy doing that. So that's what I said. You cut, you grew up on a farm, right? Yeah, yeah. You're where you've always been? Yeah, were yeah. You, were you, cows and chickens. Cows and chickens. Were you born there? <laughs> At uh, chi uh, childbirth, and uh, so I basically don't know who my real parents are, which is really a mystery. Uh, not if you uh, want to use one of your machines. Yeah. I'm sure you've considered that. If some interest, um, a farm boy, born, raised, uh, adopted, I guess, and uh, then raised on a farm, chickens, cows, the whole thing, suddenly, uh, suddenly claims to be uh, able to build a time machine. Now, how do you get from the cows and the chickens to a time machine? That's some interest to me. Circus, it sort of kind of like passed me into the uh, universal consciousness, which uh, I think the creator. And uh, once you get passed into that, then the uh, information is just added to you. When I first had you on, you told me you had a time travel catalog, and I thought, how cool, uh, and it is. I mean, to have a time travel catalog, even if you're not going to get a machine uh, on your coffee table, I thought it would be really cool. I mean, what else did you get for a time travel catalog last time you were on? Oh, God. I can't even number it. Uh, oh, geez, it must have been over 3,000. 3,000. Um, you offer this time travel catalog for what? A uh, dollar still. One dollar. It is still one dollar. So inflation has not hit time. No. All right. I took, in this time travel catalog, you, of course, go into a great explanation about what it is, blah, blah, blah. But you also have a drawing. I would call it a drawing. It's not exactly a schematic. It's more of a drawing of this perpetrator. Yeah, yeah. I would have had a uh, photocopy done of the machine, but that would have been simpler. Do you have uh, Do you have any actual good photographs of your machine, by the way? Yes, I do. Uh, but I'd love to. I was going to make the audience aware of that um, shortly. Uh, you are indeed going to be sending me one. Yeah, and should anything happen to you, well, our bill isn't going to be around too much longer. Funny. <laughs> All right. Now. I want to know some about your machine, first of all. I mean, I'm looking at the drawing, and by the way, folks, you can see it on the website. I put the uh, drawing up on the website. The front of the machine shows three circles, uh, two of which say dial, three switches, one light which says witness, and um, so. get out one of my catalogs here tell you what everything is um well the circle uh with nothing in it that's the uh, witness well it's the what that's a witness uh see the witness below the uh, circle yes yeah that that's the indication that uh the witness is the uh uh indicates that the witness is above where it's written you know in the circle what does witness mean uh, witness well is the, uh, or, uh, oh. uh, you know, in order to do a broadcast treatment, let's say, for example, the, uh, oh, no, no, the no, person no. that needs to be treated lives, you know, like six miles away from Oh, this is for, um, health reasons. Yeah, yeah. I see. So you would put a photograph or a hank of hair or uh, something. Yeah, but I have had about. reports of people moving through time, even just by putting their witness 
in my uh, witness well. All right. You then have three switches. What are these three switches? Okay, from the top, uh, top from... switch is a red switch, and that activates the power, uh, which, uh, which allows the electromagnet to uh, function the way it does. And then the uh, middle switch activates the multidimensional stabilizer. Oh, oh, slow up. You're going much too fast. The top switch activates power. How much power? Does this unit use? Do you plug it into the wall? Does it operate in batteries? Yeah, it it it, it utilizes the uh, you know approximately yeah it plugs right into your wall outlet so it takes up approximately 115 volts. 115 volts. Yeah, but by the time it gets out to the electromagnet, it's stepped up to I think around 200 volts. 200 volts. Wow. So that's, that gets to be a very serious electromagnet. Uh, there's no question about that. All right, so that uh, the top switch applies the power to the electromagnet. Yeah, yeah. All right, the middle switch does what? And that is the uh, multi-dimensional stabilizer. What in the hell is that? Well, it was a uh, an idea that was given to me by a scientist who used to live up in uh, Davenport, Iowa. And uh, it was basically designed to uh, stabilize the uh, dimensional uh, harmonics that are transmitted out of the electromagnet. It's, uh, well, you see, what you have is a, uh, see, the unit itself produces a multidimensional uh, tachyon sine wave. Really? And uh, when the dimensional stabilizer is in the off position, the wave becomes really rigid. A multi-dimensional tachyon sine wave. Holy smokes, what's that? It's just a, a, a sine wave that locks onto all the uh, dimensions. Okay, and, and so that center switch stabilizes that. Yeah, yeah. Some people, I don't know what it is, but some people get better results when the switch is in the off mode than in the on mode. Now there isn't there's a, there isn't a, really an erratic breakup in the wave when it's in the off mode, but when the uh, when you have an oscilloscope hooked up to the machine yeah. and the multidimensional stabilizer is activated, yeah. it produces uh, a number of uh, di uh, of dips in the sine wave itself, which in, and each dip represents a harmonic. Okay, all right, now that makes sense. You know an awful lot of electronics for a farm boy. <laughs> Where did you get this design originally, before we continue here? Well, it was given to me by a time traveler, is, is originally where it origin from, or where it came from. All right. Uh, a time traveler. Yeah. He just yeah. said, uh, here's a machine, welcome to the world of time travel, or what? Well, he he came from Earth's future. Uh, he has a real mysterious origin. I don't dare mention his name on the air because, well, I don't know. His counterpart could be li listening. He has a double that is on the verge of succeeding in traveling through time and repeating the same events that he repeated at an earlier stage. And I know where his counterpart is living at right now. Uh, but uh, the last I've heard, the guy who sent me this uh, schematic is now living somewhere in Maine. In Maine? Yeah. In, 
a different time or uh, who knows it uh right. uh i don't know the guy sort of scares me because nobody knows where the guy came from where, uh I mean, you know, uh, where he lives, he, he appears from out of nowhere, he contacts people from out of nowhere, and then he just disappears into thin air. I mean... All right. You've got a third switch at the bottom. Yeah. What's that? That is uh, the, uh, the uh, clear switch. Clear? Yeah. And, and it's designed to clear the uh, toxic radiations from out of the witness well, should there, should there be any present. Okay. Now, there are two dials, one at the top, one at the bottom. What's the top one? Okay, those are basically uh, tuning dials for setting your time travel coordinates or for setting up your location rates in reference to healing. Well, let's stick with time. With time, how would you operate the dials? I mean, what... what... Okay, basically, well, to begin with, you would first place... Okay, let's say... Uh, you know, we're just starting out, you know, learning how to operate this device. Okay, first of all, we place the time coils around our head, which would be basically a set of phone cords, uh, which is designed to feed the, the, uh, the third eye, uh, or, or the spiritual energy through the third eye region into the unit. Okay, after these time coils are positioned around your forehead, Okay, Over I the third eye region. Can imagine that. You uh, then start um, operating. Uh, well, you then start turning the top dial. Yes. Uh, while stroking the rubbing plate in a clockwise or counterclockwise rotation, using your uh, first. Yeah, the rubbing plate is the second half of the machine down yeah, below the yeah, dials that's... and the switches. Yeah, that's correct. So you've got these phone cords wrapped around your head. Yeah. Uh, which are coils, in fact, um, and plug into the machine. And so you've got these around your head, and now you're rubbing this plate in a counterclockwise or a clockwise position. What's the difference? It don't matter. It uh, The current flows in both directions, so it doesn't matter. Well, but, oh, I see. So yeah, because, you know, there's this a does not, winding underneath that. I was thinking clockwise might send you forward and uh, counterclockwise might send you back. Well, <laughs> who knows? It might be worth a try. <laughs> All right, anyway, so you start rubbing this rubbing plate. Yeah. And then what? Okay, then uh, uh, while you're turning the dials and stroking the rubbing plate, you concentrate on the uh, on the time period you want to go to. Let's say you wanted to go to, uh, uh, oh, like uh, May 5th, 2000, which is supposed to be the date of that cataclysm. But uh, and uh, Wouldn't it be a bad idea to go to a cataclysmic day? I don't know. It just popped into my head for some reason. Well, no, I understand that. I mean, but the, the, that is a day when people say everything could suddenly stop and everybody could be dead. Yeah, I know. So that might be a poor first choice. I mean, yeah, you'd have to get out your skis or something like that. Anyway, uh, so you start thinking about where you want to go. The second dial uh, below. You haven't told me what that does. Well, see, they're both used for uh, for 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 tuning in, in into your time uh, into the year that you want to go to. In other words, uh, you concentrate on the question like, what are the rates that will transport me to say uh, such and such a date in the year 2000? And then, as soon as your fingers stick on that rubbing plate, 
then uh, that indicates a dial setting. Then you go to the second dial underneath that and do the same thing. As so, before. oh, I see. So, in other words, you're concentrating on when you want to go, and you're rubbing, and you're turning the dial, and when your finger stops, you know you've reached the right place. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And then you have to, and you, then you repeat the process with the other dial. Yeah. Okay. And once you get that stick, the uh, energy from your soul is fed right through the third eye region on into the unit, where it's stepped up to the zero vector. Uh, okay. Maybe That's... I'm jumping too fast there. Uh, well, you might be. You might be. Um, all right, I'll tell you what. We're coming to a break, so let's pick up on that point uh, uh, right after the break, all right? Okay. All right. Hold it right where you are. And by the way, don't forget to check out that photograph on my website, the one that says Art wants to know who this girl is. See if you can figure out who she is for me. From the high desert, this is Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell. Pretty woman walking down the street. Pretty woman, the kind I like to meet. Pretty woman. Kingdom of Nye on the Wild Card Line at area code 702-727-1295. That's area code 702-727-1295. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. It certainly is. Uh, top of the morning to you. Morning now in most time zones. My guest is the wild man of the prairie, Stephen Gibbs. He produces, he makes, constructs time machines. No kidding, folks. I really mean no kidding. And uh, we'll get the rest of the description of the machine's operation here in a moment. Been telling you about an, an amazing new product that continues to blow me away by the day. And the industry, I might add. The snappy video snapshot from Play Incorporated. What it does is take moving video and converts it to a still photograph, a computer uh, photograph uh, of any format you can imagine or you could ever possibly want. And this video can come from a camcorder, a TV, or a VCR. Now, normally you would expect, well, you have to put a card in the computer or something. Ah, but not with Snappy. They were very wise the way they built it. They built it so it plugs right into the parallel port of your computer because most people don't want to take their computer apart. And so you don't have to. It plugs in where your uh, printer plugs in. Snappy has won 25 major awards so far for what they do. Nothing wins those kinds of awards. Nothing has a longevity in the computer industry that Snappy has had and will continue to have because it is so stunning. New Media Magazine said Snappy, quote, compares to a $20,000 digital camera. Snappy is incredible. You've got to see it to believe it. It is the perfect gift for anybody with a PC or yourself if you have one. If you'd like to see them on the web before you buy, they're at www.playplay.com or simply go to your favorite computer store and grab a Snappy 
at the advertised price, which, by the way, should only be $99. Boy, that's a lot of technology for $99. Everything is cool after dark. After dark brings on Art Bell and his night people from around the world. And after dark is the name of Art's exciting magazine format newsletter, the definitive chronicle of nighttime radio. Every monthly issue of After Dark is filled from cover to cover with in-depth articles, interviews, news analysis, photographs, and cartoons, and, of course, Art's personal insights. Don't miss another colorful issue of After Dark. Subscribe right now by calling one 1- 800-917-4278. That's toll-free, 1-800-917-4278. Expand and enhance your enjoyment of arts radio shows. Become a reader of After Dark. That order number again is 1-800-917-4278. When you just can't get enough of Art Bell, when you absolutely, positively want more, you want After Dark. A lot of stuff in there, of course, that's uh, not on here, and that's a good reason to get it. All right, once again, Stephen Gibbs, uh, wild man from the prairie. Uh, all right, let's see, where were we? Time quells wrapped around. We've rubbed the rubbing plate uh, in one direction or the other, set the dials. Then there is the electromagnet. Now, uh, you're, applying, uh, you're applying voltage. Um, this is an external electromagnet, right? Yeah. And you're applying 117 volts... Or actually more, I guess. Well, yeah, the diode step it up a little bit. Yeah, to this electromagnet. And uh, that will produce a hell of a magnetic field. There's no question about it, a serious magnetic field. Yeah, it's an 8-meter electromagnetic field. Uh, Is it really? Yeah. Okay. Um, Remarkable. It's it's a steel core, and then it's, uh, what have you uh, wrapped it with? Uh, 20, uh, I use a 21-gauge magnet wire. Of course, any type of gauge would probably work, but uh, that's what I use on it. Does that thing heat up, by the way? Yeah, after about a space of uh, 12 minutes, which is about the maximum amount of time you want to leave it uh, operating. Right. Um, yeah, the uh, electromagnet starts heating up, and then you got to let things cool down. That would figure. All right, so um, here we are. Uh, oil with our t- time coils around our forehead, rubbing plate work done, dials are set. Then what? Ab- what about the electromagnet? Where does that go? Okay. Once everything has been tuned and set, you then activate the power switch up top. Yeah, yeah, the red power switch. Yes. And then there are a couple of bar magnets that are that come with the unit. Now this is something that is not uh, included in my. Picture. Catalog, but not, and these bar magnets are to help to determine the polarities on the open end of the electromagnet so that you only receive the north polarized field of it. I've got you. So you figure out with the bar magnets, that makes sense, which is north. Yeah. And it, it would depend. In other words, you could probably plug it in either way. I, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, you know, Stephen, I, I just happen to think that you could yeah. uh, factory set this by color coding. Uh, determining which is north before you send this out and simply color coding the two plugs. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, I, I do, but uh, it always seems like, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but it's uh, easier for me if I just <laughs> put one uh, 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 color, one plug red and the other one black, and then if they don't, uh, 
If that doesn't do the trick. Uh, then they can always reverse the connection. People you know? will always get things mixed up. It's certainly true. All right. So anyway, you, you determine which is the uh, strong north field. Then what? Okay. Then uh, you then place the open end of the electromagnet over your uh, stomach chakra, which would be, uh, well, I guess right over your uh, belly button. So it's just radiating the hell out of you at that point. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, a lot of lot of scientists have uh, called me up stating that you know to avoid the stomach region because it can zap you into a hell region. But from my experience, uh, the uh, oh, it scientists, scientists, such a tremendous uh, amount of white light energy that it neutralizes all negative. Uh, all right, but I mean, why would a scientist say that it would uh, it would send you to hell? A scientist, in all likelihood, would go hell. Oh, come on. Yeah, well, these were, I think, uh, connected with the uh, fallen angels spoke of in scriptures, but uh, that's another story. Okay. All right, so that, so now you've got the north field radiating electromagnetic energy into your belly button. Yeah. Like crazy. You've got the time coil around your head. You've uh, determined where you want to go, and I assume at the moment that you turn the switch on, yeah, yeah. After everything's positioned, you then activate the switch for the space of three minutes. And if you're positioned over a grid point and the grid point is activated, you'll go physically. There will be a flash. What will happen is there will be a flash of white light. I was going to ask, what would I see if I was standing there watching you do all this and all of a sudden it activated? I'd see a flash of white light? Yeah, you'd see a flash of white light and the next thing you know, I'd be gone. Just gone. Gone. Yeah, yeah. Now sometimes there ain't no uh, time delay effect. Sometimes you'll just be seen flickering out, and then you'll come right back. Whereas, so in other words, that person to the to the observer, that person will look like you know you only gone for maybe a split second, but the person who went through time may have been gone for like a day or two. Oh, I understand. Just like in Contact, the movie. Yeah. They they didn't think she had been gone at all. In fact, they had video of her vehicle falling through that machine. Uh, directly with no, not even a pause in the middle, and yet she was gone for, I think it was 18 hours. Yeah, I saw that movie. Oh, that was great. That was an awesome movie. It was an awesome movie. I agree with you. Anyway, um, how long ago, Stephen, did you build your first time machine? Well, I guess my first early time machines, and this is something I never even talked about yet, uh, uh, was back in... Oh, must have been in 82 or 83. Wow. And uh, I, I discovered a way of converting a radio, an ordinary radio, into a time machine. It could not nearly have been as effective as what you've got here. Uh, no, it, uh, since there was a lot of impurities in it, I got really a whiplash effect when it, tra it, when it teleported. <laughs> and, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's a long, you've been doing this a long time. That's, uh, well over a decade. Yeah. Now, now, a lot of people are sitting out there right now saying, baloney. <laughs> baloney. This thing isn't sending anybody anywhere. I'm not believing this for a second. Now, you have some evidence, don't you, of quite a number of people who have used your machine. Yes. And and the best thing we can do now, I know that you could talk about other types of travel, but the best thing we can do is talk about incidents of actual physical time travel. Yeah. Give me an example. Um, 
Well, I sold the unit to a man down in Australia. Yes. Um, I don't know if this makes a really good example or not, but uh, he had bought something like, oh, must have been 20 or 30 crystals from me. And uh, now there was an editor of this one magazine. I'm not going to mention the name because that could get get me into a lawsuit. All right. But anyhow, he sent... He uh, he purchased one of my machines, this man in Australia, yes. and he called this guy up who was the, the editor of this one uh, UFO magazine and told him, you know, I really got something here. You know, I got one of, uh, got one of Gibbs' time machines, and, and I've been uh, traveling. I've been getting some really serious time warps. And he says, well, gee whiz, I'd like to see that thing in person. And uh, so he... Uh, so this guy over in Australia sets a date where they can meet each other in person, and and uh, uh, but anyhow the the other man who was over in England, no wait no he was over in Australia too, where the other other man was positioned. Um, he said, well let's arrange a date you know three or four weeks from now we'll we'll try to meet meet each other and but he says you'll have to call call me up to uh, to let me know where I can meet you. Meaning, so he waited, meaning, you know, no, no, wait a minute. Let me understand. Meaning, these you've got two guys. One's got a machine. Yeah. They decide to test it. And the second guy says, all right, we'll meet three weeks in the future. Is that about right? Well, yeah, two or three weeks. Uh, um, in other words, you know, the, uh, the editor did not... Uh, uh, you know, it had nothing to do with, uh, you know, him going through time, you know. Right. You know, they were just going to meet each other, you know, two or three weeks later. I in see. In the future. All right. And, uh, anyhow, they, uh, so he waited a couple of weeks to see if, uh, and, uh, no, no phone call came from this man who was working with one of my machines. Yes. And, uh, anyhow, he, he waited another couple of weeks, and he called called three three or four times, and still no answer from him. And so he decided to send a few of his friends up there to investigate. Yeah. Uh, you know, as to what has happened to the this person. Obviously. And and lo and behold, he waited a week or two, and his friends also disappeared into thin air. The ones that he had sent over to check on the guy. Yeah. And uh, and I was talking with another person. You know, if this thing, if he had set up some sort of a vortex or doorway when they went over to uh, to investigate the matter, uh, they might have got transported themselves. Okay. Well, here is a critically, uh, actually several critically important questions. Number one, when you launch yourself into the future or the past with this machine, yeah. I presume you have, I mean, you vanish in a virtual light, white flash. Yeah. The machine is still running. Mm. It's not like you've got time to reach down and turn it off. Well, if you program the machine to go with you, the machine will go with you. Uh, but if you don't, then the, uh, you oh. know, like I was mentioning before, you know, part of the machine will stay behind. Well, I was wondering if it might be possible that uh, this fellow in Australia left the machine running and these other poor saps walked in and psst, away they went. Yeah, presto change is that Is that what you think might have occurred? Yeah, yeah, that's probably a good idea. 
Um, now, however, it could have been, gosh, it could have been any number of other things, too, but what was the strangest thing about this, this man who disappeared, the letters he sent were postmarked in the, in the future, or should I say in the past, because, well, you know, normally it takes, uh, it takes a letter from Australia about around five to seven days to get to the United States. Yeah. Well, when I get the letter, it was postmarked the same date it was sent out. Uh, the postmark on the letter, the Australian postmark, was uh, th the same day? Yeah, that he sent it out. I've had that happen to me more than once with people. I don't, I don't understand why that wouldn't be. In other words, if I was in Australia and I sent you a letter yeah, on, uh, let's say, um, March 9th, yeah. They would postmark it March 9th. Yeah, the day the day I uh, sent it would receive it. And uh, but the most I can make out is the guy went was going into oh wait, let's see yeah he was going into the no wait let's see he'd have to go into the future wouldn't he I think so I I think he went into the future no he went into the past and sent it off so that by uh, a week behind. So that when I get when I got it, it'd be the same date that it was uh, postmarked. You're saying you received the letter on on the uh, the day you received the letter is the day it was postmarked. Yeah. Oh, that's impossible. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what a lot of people have said, but it happened. All right. Now, also earlier today on the phone, you told me that some kind of officials. FBI, NSA, CIA, I don't know who they were, recently came to see you uh, trying to catch you for fraud. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Now, do you know what, which eight was it FBI? Well, I kind of have a hunch they were probably FBI, but, uh, yeah, they really got a dose of their own medicine when they, uh, when they got one of my machines. This is a cool story. Now, did you give them... Uh, were you forced to give them a machine, or uh, an, or did they confiscate it, or? No, no, did... they asked me for a machine. They wanted to show Warner Brothers as to what type of uh, you know research I was doing. They were thinking they were they had convinced me and a bunch of other of my friends who were with me that uh, they needed the machine yeah. to help them uh, make a motion picture. I see. So they bought it. No, they didn't buy it. I didn't just buy gave it. it to them. Uh, you did this on spec, thinking, oh, there's a movie in this. Yeah, yeah. All right, so they took your machine to California, was it? Yeah, yeah, Los Angeles. And what happened to them? Well, after they started uh, examining it for a while, they gave me a call, and uh, he had a scientist who was really very much interested and experimenting with the device, or he knew a scientist, and uh, and I warned him over the telephone, you know, you know, don't activate it over in Los Angeles, otherwise you're going to go poof. Yeah. And uh, but you know, I was kind of toying with him a little bit, try uh, because I figured if these people were going to get me for fraud, you know, what better way than to uh, send them off to another time period. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, they got what was coming to them. <laughs> and not only that, but they strangely disappeared right into thin air. 
shortly after they, after I told them not to mess with it, you know, giving them the apple, you know. Now, how do you know they're gone? Uh, because I had a, a friend of mine over in Omaha try to contact them, and, uh, and she knew some friends over in Los Angeles, and they said they can't locate, a, locate them anywhere. And so we kind of figured they went out to a grid site and they went. Bye-bye. Yeah. So they're not going to be messing with you. Yeah, that's that's right. So kind of a happy ending to a sad beginning. <laughs> How many people, uh, Stephen, have purchased machines from you? Oh, um, rough, rough. Well, since 1986, I would say well over... Oh God, uh, I would say well over three or four hundred machines. Three or four hundred, and you have personally hand constructed each one of these. Yes, correct. Uh, how have your sales mainly come? Aside from the time you were on my program, um, was it word of mouth? Um. Or, or do you advertise time travel catalogs somewhere, or how does no, this no, work? No, it was kind of strange. A friend of mine in Omaha kind of mentioned. Uh, mentioned about Art Bell, she said, you got to get on the Art Bell show. And I, I know, stuff. but you were selling these long before you were on the Art Bell program. Yeah, and uh, then shortly afterwards, I got a phone call from you. Well, you probably emailed me or something. No. No? No, it was a real strange situation. I can't even remember how I found out about you first time, to be honest well, with you. You know, those are... Uh, that's what miracles are made of, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but but obviously you were producing these uh, for at least a decade before I had you on the air, maybe yeah. maybe more. So how were you getting the word out then? Oh, I was basically advertising through different sources. Uh, there was a company up in um, uh, Idaho that was uh, distributing. Uh, well, he's still distributing my information. I don't want to say who it is for certain, as that could uh, also get me into trouble. But uh, and he was saying to me one day, you know, you know, it'd be a great idea if you'd uh, start your own business in this area, and, and you know, by putting ads in different magazines. And so I started things up, and it finally took off. And uh, so you put ads in magazines. Yeah, yeah. Like Nexus, uh, Fate, and Alternate Perceptions. I see. Um, is your device UL approved? Uh. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's yeah, I approved it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Steven. You know, do you know do you know what the loss? Do you know that when you have a device that you plug directly into the wall, uh yeah. that you don't use a little step-down transformer, uh you've got to have a a UL approval. But uh, and you get a little sticker there on the back that says UL approved or it's on the cord a lot of times when you buy something. Yeah. So your, your device is not necessarily UL approved then. Yeah, no, not necessarily, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Stephen, you're so strange. Uh, but nevertheless, you claim that this, it works. If you want to travel in time, one of these will, in fact, take you through time, right? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, is there any limit to how far back or how far forward you can go? Well, I think that depends a little bit on the type of grid point that's used. Some grids don't put out very much power, and, and uh, those type of grids can only move you somewhat like in days. In days. Um, 
Okay, now grids are points on the Earth that have a, a specific magnetic anomaly to them, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. It's, uh, yeah, there, there exists, to my knowledge, something like three different types of grid points. Uh, the uh, positive grids will send you into Earth's future. Right. Negative grids will send you into Earth's past. And zero grids will send you into uh, present parallel universes. Excellent. All right, Stephen, hold on. We're going to take a break here at the top of the hour. And, yes, we will. You can go take a look at the sketch on the website. It's only one page of his time travel catalog. We'll tell you how to get Stephen, Stephen's time travel catalog. Now, Stephen is sending me a time machine. And I'm going to have to think very hard about when I want to go. <laughs> I've been waiting for this opportunity. This is Coast to Coast AM. For Art Bell in the Kingdom of Nye, send it to him at area code 702-727-8499. 702-727-8499. Please limit your faxes to one or two pages. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now, here again is Art. Once again, here I am. Stephen Gibbs is my guest right now. Now, Stephen builds time machines. Stephen is out in prairie lands of Nebraska, and um, he's a farm boy. But long ago, somebody gave him plans for a time machine. And by the way, I had no idea. Stephen has a website. I just got a, a fax from his webmaster. I had no idea that he had a website. It is... Um, HTTP colon forward slash forward slash home in reach. That's I N R E A C H dot com forward slash D as in dog, O as in ocean, V as in Victor, uh, forward slash TT dot HTM. And according to his webmaster, his catalog is on his website along with the same diagram that I've got up on my website. Now I have no idea. Stephen had a website. Uh, we'll get back to Stephen and uh, all of this in just a moment. Let me first tell you about uh, people who have money. If you have money and you're going to invest, you have risk capital, then you uh, do stand the chance of making big money in the global economy. Listen to me closely. The foreign exchange marketplace is actually 60 times the volume of the New York Stock Exchange. And unique financial concepts can show you how to take advantage of changes in the value of the U.S. dollar versus all foreign currencies such as the German mark, Swiss franc, British pound, and Japanese yen. For example, the U.S. dollar versus the Japanese yen. In a recent one-month period, the yen moved 10 points. Positioned properly, you could have made more than $35,000 on an investment of only five. You can get the complete reports and strategies. Learn how you can invest in the very same currency markets that major banks and financial institutions use to make their gazillions of dollars. Call 1-800-934-1188. Information package and the call are free. That's 1-800-934-1188. Of course, risk, as I said, is involved, and you could lose 
part or all of your initial investment. Only risk capital should be used. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. And that's true in uh, so many aspects of life. I just got a, um, a email from, actually it's a fax. I always get this wrong, the fax. From Bill in Santa Clara, California. Dear Art, kudos to you for advertising absolutely fresh flowers. I sent their flowers to my mom on Valentine's Day. I spoke to her this morning, and they are still there. Of course, they are now dwindling in number, but hey, it's been 24 days. You'll never get that from a florist. Absolutely fresh flowers will get my business again, and you can say that on the air. Thanks to you and your show, dedicated listener, Bill. Santa Clara, listening on KSFO. Thank you, Bill. They send out more flowers for the dollar than anybody in the world. They come in a large triangular box delivered by FedEx as part of the price. Inside, along with this gigantic shipment of flowers, there is a card from you, handwritten with your message of love and caring, whatever you want to say, happy birthday, happy anniversary, whatever, and then your name at the bottom, handwritten, very personal. Now, uh, the delivery is fast, hence the name Absolutely Fresh Flowers. In other words, you call today during the week and boom, they deliver tomorrow anywhere in the contiguous USA. $47.95. The number to call, 1-800-562-6438. That's 1-800-562-6438. Absolutely Fresh Flowers. Now, I have become aware of a man uh, who has, well, I guess he bought one of uh, Stephen Gibbs' uh, time machines. And so I thought, um, I thought it might be interesting to hear from this person. Now, you may recall the other day, we got a call on the air from somebody who had just received his time machine, was about to use it, tentatively considering using it. Now, I, I will tell you something about, um, about his machine. You know, the principle actually, the principle actually is fairly sound, it seems to me. You know, looking at this, even though it may seem silly, you know, a, a coil coming out of one side of the machine that you would wrap around your head, and a very powerful electromagnet that you would put at the center of your body, and then the dials and the rubbing plate and all the rest of it, but actually, if you believe in hyperdimensions, that there are other dimensions, then indeed this might be a way to resonate that. Who knows? Uh, at any rate, here's a guy who bought one of uh, uh, Stephen's machines, and I thought I'd bring him on the air. His name is Augie Nost. Is it Nost? Yeah, that's Augie Nost. Nost. I'm sorry, Augie. Where are you from? I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. Well, at the moment, but you've got an accent. You must have been from somewhere else. Well, yeah, I grew up in Europe and Norway. Europe and Norway? Yeah. When did you, uh, first of all, how did you find out about Stephen? Well, uh, quite a few years ago, I found an ad in a magazine, uh, which I forget which one it was now, and I wrote for a catalog from him. I think it probably was five, seven years ago. All right, and so it, it wasn't from my program. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, I read the catalog, it sounded fascinating, and I put it in a file somewhere, and that was the end of it at that time. 
I think a lot of people do that. I mean, it's so cool to have a time travel catalog. Last time Stephen was on, you know, I'm not going to sit here and sell machines for Stephen, I said, but I thought, you know, for the audience, just to have a time travel catalog sitting on their coffee table would be cool. It's like a conversation piece or something. And so I take it that you originally got that catalog and kind of looked at it the same way, but then filed it away. Yeah, I did. All right. So some one day came and you made, I, I mean, how did you make the decision? These are not cheap. What does this machine cost? Uh, actually, uh, no, I think we got it wrong. I did not buy one. I uh, used the equipment because i known Steve for some time, and he was in Omaha. He brought the machine with him. I see. And uh, we were over to a friend's uh, house, and uh, there is where I uh, strapped it on, and I used it. You strapped it on. Yeah. <laughs> you wound the cords around your forehead, as he suggests. Yeah. And, yeah, then, yeah uh, and then just as he talked about on the radio, you put the magnet uh, basically on, in your belly button area and activated the tremendous current through it, huh? Yeah, the, uh, I remember the, uh, the time coil got hot. Uh, it would. It definitely would get hot. Yeah, we had to switch hands to hold it uh, in place. Uh, I'm sure it would get very hot indeed. Yeah. All right, so, um, so what happened? Well, uh, first of all, though, we have to kind of, uh, I've studied this quite a bit over the years, and uh, there is more than one time, a time tra uh, kind of time travel. you got mental time travel, and you got physical time travel. Right. And uh, uh, we also have to understand what time is to really understand what this is. We think that time is linear. Well, it may appear that way, but there are much evidence to the fact it is not. Okay. And uh, time, as uh, Nikola Tesla and uh, even Einstein, he questioned if it was linear. And it appears to be like a wave. Anything in the universe is based on frequency, right? I believe that to be so, yes. Yeah, if time is real, it also has to be frequency. I, I'm not going to disagree with that. That's entirely plausible. Okay. And uh, this... In a physical world, it appears linear, but in order to be able to travel on the wave front of time, you have to step in between dimension into the zero-point vacuum, and then you can travel forward and backward. Zero point. Uh, tapping into um, hyperdimensional energy. There you go. Uh -huh. All right, so I still want to know what happened. Well, when uh, I sat there, I went into a meditative state. Yes. Meditated. And uh, for a little while, nothing happened. And I had a little handicap because I was in a hurry. I really needed to go somewhere in a very short time. But I sat there and uh, thought about absolutely nothing. And then after a little while, I started to see some light flickerings in front of my eyes, which I had closed at that time. It was kind of like... Uh, well, little specks of light that just kind of showed up. Uh, right, 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 right. Inside right. the eyelid. Right, I've seen and, them. And uh, then I started to see a little, kind of like a, almost, it appeared like a column in the middle. And then it was kind of like a, a vision or a, um, I was just like I was watching a dim movie that got clearer and clearer. And it was um, like a, a mountain top, and there was like a volcano. A volcano. And uh, the top of this volcano just plain came off, and that 
volcano erupted. And uh, the thing about this one is that I had a specific date and a year in time that I had uh, targeted. And what was that? That was in 1999, the 7th of July. July 7th, 1999. Do you know yeah. where you were physically? Uh, I don't know where I was. I had an impression of uh, and a feeling that it was on either on the west coast or the northwest. That was a strong feeling, and that's all I had. I could be wrong about that. All right. But that was clearly a volcano that came unglued, and the whole guts spilled right up there. And this happened while you were using his machine. You saw all this. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, uh, I had the, the machine on at the time, and uh, I started to feel a little dizzy. And uh, I also remembered that, uh, well, I, maybe I got a little nervous, too. Uh, that's possible. I, I can understand that. Uh, yeah. No question about it. it would make me ner It's going to make me nervous to try it too. Yeah. Because I know, uh, w my God, with this kind of voltage into this electromagnet, that sucker is going to get hot as a yeah. firecracker. Yeah, it uh, it would. But I think that, um, well, this is something that uh, I think would be a phenomenal experience to try it out, and I think. Uh, if people go through the procedures that he's outlined for us, uh, I understand. it's safe enough. Well, all right. Uh, Stephen is going to send me a machine. Do you have any advice for me? Uh, I would say uh, keep the machine close by you because let's say for some reason that you do go somewhere physically, it would be nice to have this machine with you so you could plug it in wherever you're at. It's a very, very good point. Uh, listen, I want to thank you. I'm going to go back to Stephen, but uh, okay. I did want to interview you and uh, at least ask what had happened to you. Now we know. Okay. Thank you, uh, Augie. You bet. Take care. All right, that's Augie. Here's Stephen once again, Stephen Gibbs. Stephen, are you there? Yeah, yeah. Augie's a very good friend of mine. Is he? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've known him for quite some time. All right. Um... Again, Stephen, uh, I'll ask you the same question. You're about to send me a machine. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, do you have any warnings or cautions or instructions for me when I get this thing? Well, if you activate it over in, well, huh, uh, how can I put it? Uh, I don't if know. you activate it in the Las Vegas area, uh, I would most likely say that you're probably going to be going physically. Yeah, there is a, uh, a definite. Um, a point between here and Las Vegas. Yeah, and now Pahrump, I don't know. Well, it's I in don't between. Know it's in the blue. Not the, a grid line goes through Pahrump. Oh, I, I know where it is. It's in the Blue Diamond area. Yeah. I know, I know exactly where it is. And right, so. uh, there is. Now you got to remember too that Las Vegas is built over a negative grid point, and uh, so uh, now when I'm referring to negative grid point, I'm not referring to a past grid point. I'm referring to a negative bad grid point. Uh, Bad? Yeah, it's bad. It locks into a hell region. Uh, so I would, I might go to hell. Yeah, you might, or else uh, have a have a have a bad great. nightmare from it. Great, just great. Uh, but that's only if you activated it uh, within the vicinity of Las Vegas. If you activated outside the edge of Las Vegas, I probably wouldn't do much, uh, except unless you know you were over a grid point. Uh, but hopefully the uh, grids outside Las Vegas are more positive than that sucker is. All right, here is a very critical question, and I think a reasonable question. If you were to travel physically, Stephen, yeah. 
to uh, the far past, for example. Um, Augie was just mentioning plugging it in, and I was thinking, what if you traveled to a time before there was power? Now, what then? Well, hopefully you'd have your vehicle with you. What I suggest to a lot of people who buy units from me that, uh, you know, in order, uh, because a lot of people, because a lot of these grid points are far away from where a person, you know, lives at. So you're saying, so you're saying take your car? Well, yeah, what you get is a uh, DC, uh, a 12 volt DC to, or DC to AC inverter. Yep. That converts 12 volt DC into 150 volt AC that plugs right into your cigarette lighter. And that way, if you want to take your vehicle with you through time, uh, you can just uh, program that into the unit and off you go. Well, that might create another problem, Stephen. If you suddenly ended up back in, say, the uh, 1400s uh, with your car, yeah. Um, Right, right away, there could be a problem. Well, they'll just probably think you're some sort of a space traveler or something, or a warlock, and and you're liable to get burned at the stake along with your machine. Yeah, yeah. Get one of those <laughs> nice big swords through you. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> um. All right. Look. It helps to have a set of clothing with you to match with the time period that you go to. Um, I can imagine it would, but how are you going to, you know, how are you going to uh, decorate your car so it does, you know? Yeah, well. Anyway, look. Um, <laughs> um, Stephen. Um, Excuse me. Uh, yeah, what was that? Oh, I accidentally pushed a button on all the right. telephone. I see. All right. Got one of these cheapies, so. All right. Um, I almost don't know what to say to you anymore. Oh, yes, I do. Um. The one cool thing that I have, whether people want to get your machine or not eventually, is you do have your catalog, Time Travel. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, if people want it, it's all of $1 yeah. for the catalog. I've got one in my hands. Uh, how do they get it? Oh, they just send uh, $1 to Stephen Gibbs, RR1, Box 79, Clearwater. That's spelled C-L-E-A-R-W-A-T-E-R. -E yeah. And then Nebraska, that's abbreviated as N-E. Right. And then the zip is 68726. And my time machines sell for $360. Ooh, that's pretty pricey. And now, if there are some people, you know, I wanted to, uh, to state that if there are some people who order machines, that they would probably, the early, the, the early ones who come in, uh, the, the early orders that come in, I can probably have them processed before the end of this year, whereas the uh, latecomers will probably have to wait till around the middle of 99 or towards the, towards the end of 99. Yeah, you, uh, you build these by hand, and you can only build a certain number every year. Yeah, yeah, right? that's correct. I can only build something like anywhere from five to seven units per month. Five to seven a month. Yeah. Uh, so... Even even the, the people that um, last time um, bought a machine, they've not all yet received them. Quite a few have, or most, but no, not all. No, I still have something like uh, 37 back orders. My God. So it's going to be a while before you can get around to anybody's machine anyway. Well, uh, they, uh, well, yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, But, you know, that's not unusual to have 37 back orders. A lot of people who sell radionic machines usually end up having that. Is there enough information in the drawing for people 
to, of course, you don't show any of the internal parts of this machine. Yeah. Uh, is there enough information for people to build them uh, themselves? Well, now, for the ones who want to build their own time machine, uh, yes. that's similar. Now, they wouldn't be... It wouldn't be the same as the units I sell, and and it may and well, it just depends on which reports you you go through. But uh, basically, if they want to build a machine which is almost identical to the one I sell, I would suggest they go with report number nine. That tells you that that gives instructions on how to build the multiverse resonator. All right, now wait. Where is report number nine? Uh, that's in my catalog on the back page. Yeah, it's. And it sells for nineteen ninety five plus three dollars for shipping and handling. And uh it reads, you know, the the information contained in this report almost costed me my life, which it about did. How so? Uh well I was harassed by some government people when I went over to Calgary, Canada at an earlier date to help these people uh activate a time portal. And, and I was interrogated for three hours when I went through immigration. Oh, you mean about your machine? Yeah. They probably said, what the hell is this? Well, they didn't want any of the information to be let out in Canada. See, they're really a, uh, a bunch of SOBs as far as... Uh, now, be careful because a lot of people in Canada listen to you right now. <laughs> be careful what you call them. Yeah, 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 that's true. But It's uh, not all Canadians. You mean the Canadian border guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, this guy was a government plant. He was trying to get me on a drug charge is what he was trying to do. And uh, what, what does that have to do with a time machine? Well, they just didn't want anybody to know about time travel in Canada. They didn't want anybody doing research on the on the subject. Well, what does that have to do with drugs? I mean, how are they going to bust you on drugs when you don't have drugs? All you've got is a time machine. Well, yeah, but uh, see, uh, if it wasn't for my uh, friend, I, I'm not going to mention any names. Uh, if she hadn't threatened him with a lawyer, yeah. I probably would have been in prison by now. Based on what? Um, well, who knows, but uh, boy, he was sure, sure was keyed off when, he, when uh, my friend threatened him with a lawsuit because he was forced to let me through. All right. Uh, Stephen, in a moment, we're going to take calls. Uh, stay right where you are. Next segment, we'll take calls for Stephen Gibbs. Time Machines. I keep hearing you're concerned about my happiness. But all that thought you're giving me is conscience again. If I were walking in your shoes, I wouldn't be worried enough. Are you now friends who worry about me? I'm having lots of fun.
Talk with Art Bell in the Kingdom of Nye from east of the Rockies. Dial 1-800-825-5033. 1-800-825-5033. West of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico. 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-8255. Now again, here's Art Bell. Once again, here I am, and here's a brilliant idea. I'll tell you, my wife uh, suffers... Um, from time to time uh, from asthma and when you suffer those who suffer from asthma know when you're in the middle of an attack you um, you can't lie down you have to sit up you have to be in a sitting position and so you know we usually end up putting uh, about a million pillows behind my wife uh, if she even can get in bed so that she's sitting up now that brings to mind the fact that uh, for somebody like her an adjustable bed would be ideal well boy do I have an adjustable bed for you. The Truman Bed Buddy. It does not get rid of your old bed. It converts your old bed into an adjustable bed and at an amazingly low price, under 250 bucks. All you do is place the Bed Buddy on top of your existing mattress, press a button, and voila, it electrically adjusts to an infinite number of positions for reading, watching TV, or perhaps listening to your favorite radio show. But rather than just giving you my view on this great adjustable bed, I asked for a second opinion from my good friend Alan Corbett, very good friend. He's president of my network, been with me the whole time, and he loves it. Alan says, quote, like a lot of other people, I spend many hours when I should be sleeping, listening to art, and at the same time, I'm usually doing some paperwork. The bed buddy is perfect for me. It adjusts to just the right position to support my back. And by the way, my wife loves it, too, for watching TV and reading. Anybody can enjoy the comfort, convenience, and great value of the Bed Buddy adjustable bed priced at less than $250. And now listen, right now, uh, we're not even trying to sell you the bed. We're just saying call and get the free brochure, and then you'll know when you look at it if it's what you want. The, bro the call and the brochure are absolutely free. So you can call them right now at 1-800-526-5000 right now. And by the way, if you decide you want it, you can try the Truman Bed Buddy risk-free for 100 nights. Now, there's a, a sponsor confident of their product. The number is 1-800-526-1000, uh, the Bed Buddy. And I think it is absolutely um, a, spe a spectacular idea for anybody who needs to get into a different position for whatever reason. Are you who's but the pain? All right, we are going to go to the top of the hour, and then we are going to move away from the time travel subject because I am getting word that there is a, a downright, there's an emergency going on in the Midwest. In the uh, state of Indiana, in northern Illinois and possibly other areas as well, I'm getting word that hundreds and maybe thousands of people are stranded. That would be the storm that passed through my area a couple of days ago, now rearing its uh, very, very strong El Nino head in the Midwest. And I understand there is a sincere emergency going on, so we're going to be looking into that here very shortly. In the meantime, if you have questions for Stephen Gibbs, I'll come now. Uh, Stephen, are you there? Yep. Okay. 
All right, Stephen. Uh, here come some folks. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Stephen Gibbs and Art Bell. Hello. Uh, yes, Stephen and Art. My name is Britt, and I'm calling from Shady Cove, Oregon, from your home station, uh, KOPE. Hi there, Britt. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. How about yourself? And Fine. I love your show. Thank you. Uh, I know you've been very honest with your... Uh, your callers in the past, and I'd honestly like to ask you if you think that your guest is for real. Hmm. Um, all right. Uh, it's a good and fair question, and the answer is, I don't know. Uh, Stephen has been building these for a long, long, long time before I ever interviewed him about, you know, the machine. But seven a month? I've t seven machines, you mean? Didn't he say he built seven a month? Yeah, that's right. That's correct. Seven a month. Sounds kind of off the wall to me. Well, it isn't like he does this as a full-time job. It sounds like he sure should be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to answer your question. I understand, uh, thank you, that uh, as people listen to Stephen, you know, he's brought up on a farm. Uh, his diction isn't perfect. And that makes people judge people, which is really too bad. Uh, but that's the way it is. Actually, Stephen, I'll tell you something. We've got this new credibility rating system on my website. Yeah. And 200 people, before you even went on the air, voted. And you were voted as being reasonably credible, right, sort of in the middle? Yeah. Uh, but as the program has gone on, your credibility rating, Stephen, has gone back to 1955. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I understand... Stephen, why people react the way they do uh, to what you say. But the reason I brought you back is because I think there is something to you, and I see the principles involved in your machine. Does it work? Hell, I don't know. Maybe I'm about to find out. Yeah, I would say so. Now, if I'm suddenly, if I'm suddenly missing, when, when do you figure to get this machine to me? I figure before... I would say the 27th. The 27th of this month? Yeah. So that's like 17 days from now. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, so, you know, in answer to the caller's question, until I have done this myself, how can I make that judgment? I just know that Stephen really ha has been building these, and that I really have talked to people who have used them and claim they work. I brought one on the air a little while ago. So... You know, I, I would say to people in the listening audience, you ought not judge a book by its cover. And people do that, and it's uh, it's perhaps a gigantic mistake. Uh, anyway, first-time caller line, you're on the air with Stephen Gibbs. Aloha, Steve. Aloha, Art. This Hi is there. Doug in Honolulu, Hawaii. Yes, sir. And uh, I just wanted to ask you, Mr. Gibbs, um, have you had uh, have you had anyone with time travel actually having problems of, uh, especially if they physically go into the future, of um, having problems with uh, diseases or any kind of um, any kind of viruses at all that are no, not introduced at this uh, time. Nothing at all, from I, what I've heard. God, I never thought about that, Stephen. If you were to go, we already have emerging viruses yeah. at a ridiculous rate, new viruses all the time, and one can only imagine as time goes on there'll be more and more and more. What if somebody went into the future, contracted something, and brought the damn thing back with them? In fact, in fact, <laughs> let's think about it this way. Maybe some of these emerging viruses came back with some of your customers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, see, the thing uh, that people don't realize is the unit puts uh, 
protect, uh, puts a extremely powerful tachyon field around you that repels, uh, any chance for, uh, coming down with any of these hmm. viruses. And, uh, and not only that, you probably wouldn't stay there long enough to contract something. Well, I don't know if you can say that. I mean, all it takes is one person in the year 2006 to go, <laughs> and you're, there you are. But I mean, your, your machine may take care of it. That, that's a good answer. Uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Stephen Gibbs. Hello. Uh, good morning, Art. This is Kathy and Reno. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Um, great show tonight as usual. Mr. Gibbs, uh, fascinating. Um, by the way, I believe in you. I have no reason not to. I have one question and I'll listen to your answer off the air. All right. Will you please tell us exactly what you have seen, experienced, or know about the cataclysmic event you mentioned on May 5th, 1999? Thank you. Oh, that was May 5th, 2005, and that's when the planets uh, are supposed to align. Yeah. And I, I just sort of chided uh, Stephen for picking that date out of thin air. Yeah. Um, well, I, I haven't personally gone to the year 2005. Now, I know somebody who uh, was using a uh, couple of... Uh, uh, Caduceus wound Tesla coils mm -hmm. that went to the year 2008, shortly after the New World Order is established, and found out that the Christians are disposed during that time period by means of flamethrowers. What? They... Uh, I'm serious. Uh, they, uh, they're taken to an affirmatory. The ones who don't accept the biochip, either in their right hand or in their forehead, from what I was told, are taken to an affirmatory in the year 2008 where they are literally uh, burnt alive God. in front of several eyewitnesses. Now, this is something that uh, a scientist saw when he went physically to that year. And uh, he actually has a lot of documented evidence to back up that uh, he has made this jump. Now, I don't dare mention names because this could definitely get me into trouble. But uh, he was working for some government agency back in World War II, from as close as I could tell. Uh, but he likes to keep his uh, whereabouts unknown because he's really not from this time period. Aren't you afraid, uh, Stephen, that somebody will get this machine and fry themselves with it? No, no, there's, uh, uh, there's safety um, catches in it that, uh, you know, prevents any overload. Um, it's like, you know, if you decide to activate it over in, uh, in, in Pahrump or in Las Vegas, the, yes. the amount of energy put out by the field is so are put out by the machine is so fantastically highly intense that it would short out all manner of darkness in that area, even if it did it was tuned to a hell region. And so basically the uh, be just my luck, boy. I'd throw the switch and I'd go straight to hell without passing go. <laughs> but no, the, I I thought about you know that you might be going <clears throat> that you might accidentally be tripped off into a negative dimension. But the more I think about it. Uh, the more, the, from my own experiences and what from other people have told me that, uh, even if you decide to activate it over a negative grid, yes. um, the energy would short out the negative grid. And so you probably wouldn't end up in a hell region. You would probably just simply be, 
you know, pass through the grid with uh, one hell of a headache. Well, even that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Uh, no, no, no. All right, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Stephen Gibbs. Hi. Uh, hi. This is Wanda from North Carolina. Hi, Wanda. Um, yeah, the fascinating program, and uh, I rate him up very high, like 1999 now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, I have a, a couple of questions. Um, one, I studied Indian mysticism, and I know that from some of my studies that uh, there are people who can time travel uh, without machines, I guess through other means. But one, I have two questions. One is uh, in studying Nikola Tesla's inventions, and I actually had had my hand on one of the patents, which was called the Violet Flame invention yep. that he invented, which uh, people are trying to figure that must have been for healing. Um, so I can, can see why this could and would work. My two concerns would be, one, is there any problem of internal combustion? If the person's physical health, if they had a lot of gases in their body. <laughs> no, no, there's no uh, danger of internal combustion. Uh, uh, I never even heard of heard of that problem. The only thing I suggest to people, you know, who operate these machines is don't stick uh, gemstones in it. Don't stick gemstones. You know, in the witness well, because it steps up the energy too damn much, and you can you can then uh, overheat yourself, and where you could easily, you know, uh, you know, what they refer to as, uh, you know, Do you burst have into flames. Burst into flames. Uh, now, see, that's what the lady said. Now you're saying you could burst into flames. Now, are these warnings contained in your uh, catalog? Well, you know, if people go by what is written in the catalog, they'll never, you know, suffer any, uh, you know, any uh, any side effects. Uh, yeah, it's only when they start doing things that aren't listed in my catalog. Yeah, see, now, but if that's the problem, uh, Stephen, for example, take me, for example. Yeah. Um, you know when I read directions? When all else fails. Yeah. I mean, it's like the last thing I do. And if, now, believe me, after listening to your warnings, I will read the directions. But otherwise, I'd say, uh-huh, okay, this goes here, this goes here, turn it on, let's see what happens. And with my luck, you know, somebody would drop a diamond or something in the witness well, and I'd, I'd go up like that. Well, diamonds ain't going to uh, 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 affect that too much. It's when you start using uh, red-colored stones. Red, like a ruby. that steps down the harmonics in it. Okie dokie. West of the Rockies, you're on there with Stephen Gibbs. Hello. Hi, Stephen. Uh, my name's Doug. I'm in Placerville, California. Yeah. Uh, are you in uh, 1998 right now? Yeah, yeah, I'm present. Okay, I just, uh, your, your comment at the beginning of the show was kind of curious. I have a, uh, kind of a narrative question that would, um, if I could just read it, I wrote it down and, uh, maybe you could, uh, just answer, uh, answer it the best you could. Go ahead. Uh, okay, um, I'm um, just listen to the whole thing, cause I, not 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 the individual questions, but this would clarify it for me. I'm 43 years old now in 1998. I was 17 years old in 1971. If you sent me back in time to 1971, would I be 17 years old or 43 years old? And would I be in Germany in 1971? Oh, hold it, slow it up. Uh, take him one at a time. W what age would he be? 
you'd still be the same age because you see you wouldn't be uh jumping into your own um uh you know into your own past timeline in this universe you'd be jumping into a parallel universe so you'd still be uh 43 yeah you'd still be 43 but with some uh, rejuvenated qualities added to it all right next question um, would you be in Germany or would you be here? Yeah, since would I be in Germany or would, where would I be? Okay, the answer is uh, you would be wherever you had deemed to go. In other words, uh, you would not be suddenly yourself when you were 17, so that means you wouldn't be in Germany unless that is where you wanted to go. Yeah, yeah. Would, uh, yeah, you'd pop out wherever the, uh, uh, well, like if you went to a grid point in one location, then you'd pop out of that <clears throat> same grid point in the other time period. Uh, so, if, unless you program it for bilocation, if if I um, went back to 1971, I would be 43, and I wouldn't necessarily be in Germany. Um, if I was somewhere else, could I travel to Germany and meet myself? Ah, um, uh, very very good question. And do you advise yeah, people you could, to do that? But it might. Uh, uh, there is a danger of meeting your counterparts in other uh, in other parallel universes. Uh, the reason for that is you can easily fuse into them, oh, which would man. account for the uh, split personality traits that are present in some people. Terrible. That's nothing you would want to do, fusing with yourself. Um, first time caller line, you're on the air with Stephen Gibbs. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi, my name is uh, Matt, and I'm calling from Omaha. Hello, Matt. Hi. I can't believe I actually made it through. I'm sitting here dumbfounded. I've uh, tried to call once or twice in the past, just constant busy single. And got well, me. you're on, so you, there's not a lot of time here. Okay, so. okay. Um, I'm a teacher, so I can't listen off, and I got hit by the uh, El Nino thing here, so we've got no school tomorrow. So, uh. um, At any rate, uh, maybe nothing happens by accident, and that's why I'm listening here tonight. I'm here pretty close. I've just got a, uh, two questions. Okay. Um, first off, how long do you stay there? Do, do you automatically return? Well, yeah, there's a, uh, I would say at the maximum, there's a nine-hour uh, time limit that you stay in the other time period. Then you just automatically fade back to the present. Okay. Okay, so it just sort of automatically brings you back? Yeah, yeah. Unless you start screwing around with your own space-time continuum, then you may get locked in another uh, time period. Okay. Okay, but if you follow the instructions, it'll be all right. Yeah, you should, yeah, as long as you don't run into your other self. Sure, sure, okay. Um, and then the other just question was, can I buy you lunch sometime? I'm here in Omaha, so. Yeah, yeah, I'm about three hour, three or four hour drive from there. The next time maybe uh, when I go up to visit my friend in Omaha, um, you know, uh, should you happen to be, um, you know, if you could uh, leave me a phone number or something. All right, we're going to give out Stephen's address again here in a moment. Uh, one last question, very quickly. Wildcard line, you're on the air with Stephen Gibbs. Hello. Oh, hi. Uh, when you're um, time traveling, you're beyond uh, time and space by, uh, what, electromagnetic waves. Uh, when you're beyond time and space, are you in touch with the eternal, the Akashic Records? Well, um, yeah, you're in touch with the creators. What you, uh, when you pass through that zero vector, you see... Uh, you, you're, you're, you're actually, you know, passing through a realm that, uh... You become all-knowing? Well, in a sense, you do. Uh, you, you're given whatever the Lord allows you to have in connection with the, uh, machine. But wouldn't you become one with the Lord? Because you would be omnipresent, uh, and eternal, immortal, when you're beyond time and space. Oh, uh, well, I think that a lot, a 
lot hinges on the aspect of faith. You know, uh, this ain't this this unit is no substitute for faith. Faith has to come from within. Oh, that's a uh, that's a good place for us to end it, Stephen. Listen, I'm, I'm going to give out your address. Folks, you can get a time travel catalog, which I guarantee is great to have on your coffee table, even if you never get a machine, uh, by writing to, uh, sending $1 to <laughs> Stephen Gibbs. That's what, G-I-B-B-S? Yeah, yeah, Stephen, uh, yeah, G-I-B-B-S. That's R-R-1. I, I bet that stands for rule route. Yeah, R-R-1. R-R-1, box 79. Box 79. In Clearwater, one word, Clearwater, Nebraska. Uh, zip code 68726. Is that about right? Yep, that's correct. Well, Stephen, I am looking forward to getting my machine. I am really looking forward to it. Yes. And uh, you're going to get an awful lot of requests. Now, people need to bear in mind that you only build a certain number of these. They're all hand-built, and you build them, uh, uh, on, on, I guess, special order is a way to put it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be building machines from now on until doomsday. Doomsday. Well, maybe, maybe on the next program, Stephen, you can tell us when that will be. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Gibbs, thank you and good night. Yeah, thank you, Art. Well, there's Stephen Gibbs, folks, uh, from Nebraska. And when I get my machine, what would you recommend that I do? After hearing all of this, <laughs> I've got a lot of thinking to do about that. All right, look, I understand there is a very, very serious situation going on in the Midwest. And I know there are people in trucks and cars out there stuck. And what we're going to do when we come back is open a special line for people in the Midwest who are stuck in this hellish storm that I've been hearing about. This is uh, Coast to Coast AM.